Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller, where we talk about everything NBA basketball. Joining me today is a man of many talents. He writes for Peachtree Hoops. He also does two podcasts on top of that, the first being Talking Chop, where he talks in depth about the Atlanta Braves, and the second, of course, being Locked on Hawks, where he discusses the Atlanta Hawks and all things Hawks at length. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to uh, do it and always fun to talk about some sports. So I understand today was one of the first days for uh, media availability broadly throughout the NBA. Did you catch anything specifically from the Hawks that you thought was interesting that changed things you didn't think about before? Um, not necessarily. It was the first day of uh, the NBA sort of doing a media week instead of a media day because they're all doing these Zooms and uh, it's interesting. You can't always get everything that you would normally get in a scrum setting, but these, they're, they're pretty good. The Hawks are pretty good about availabilities. Nothing that was like earth shattering, but it was the first time that Lloyd Pierce has talked since free agency. First time that John Collins and Troy Young have talked since then. So just some interesting tidbits, nothing like for me anyway, jumps off the page, but I think it's just interesting to kind of hear what guys have to say on the record after all those moves are done. I thought one that was really interesting was Trey Young, his comments, you tweeted about this, almost about like playing this season to win, almost like he has a chip on his shoulder to prove to people that he can lead a winning roster. What were your thoughts on those comments? Yeah, he definitely does. I, th I think that he um, has unfairly in some circles gotten heat for the Hawks not winning. And I think it's kind of unfair. Uh, you know, Trey's been very good, honestly, at least since the middle of his first year, he's been really, really good. And last year it was a star basically the entire way. Um, and the team around him just wasn't very good. It's, it wasn't necessarily on him. Was he absolutely perfect? No, but there's this notion always with guys who are um, the best players on bad teams that it's somehow their fault. And last year it was very clearly not his fault that the Hawks were not very good. And I think the narrative kind of set in a little bit too hard in some circles on that. And I'm sure he's heard that he's been asked about it. So I'm not surprised. He like he likes to win. He's, he's a competitive guy. And now that the Hawks are going are to be better this year, I would expect that to sort of flip, at least in some degree, because he'll be the best player on a team that's much better. And that, that's usually at least a little bit kinder to the way that you're talked about. Yeah, like when if you look back and look at Trey Young's numbers, he was averaging 29 and nine. Trey Young is not he's not a big guy. He's very skilled. He can shoot the ball. He has an amazing handle. He's fast defensively. Admittedly, there's a, some struggles there. But Trey Young is an incredible offensive player. And this guy's only 21 years old. So to malign him in his second season in the NBA when his second best player might be Kevin Herter or John Collins, who's also very young, that I agree with you. That just seems to be kind of unfair, especially just considering that the Hawks trajectory since 2017, 2018, where they blew things up like this roster, I think this off season, they made some moves to get in that winning conversation. But prior to this season, would you agree that they just did not have the pieces whatsoever to kind of get into that eighth, ninth seed range? Yeah, I think last season, it was pretty foreseeable, honestly. If you're, if you're paying close attention to the Hawks, they had these young talent, uh, th these young guys who are really, really talented and really have bright futures. And that's not, it's not on them, but they really didn't build around them very well uh, last season. It wasn't like they were trying to win now. And that was very, very evident. They had some real holes in the rotation and going into the off season, they had already added Clint Capella, which is very helpful. He had not played for them yet, but he's a guy who's an established starter. That definitely helps, especially defensively. But the big thing was knowing that they had all this cap space. If they hadn't spent that money on players, 
that it would have been sort of the same deal. Maybe a little bit better, obviously, with Capella and another year of the young guys getting older. But they definitely needed to invest in the roster because they just weren't good enough. Trey Young was obviously sort of ready last year to make that leap. But other than him and Collins, they really didn't have much to speak of in terms of like fully established, you know, starting caliber players. The young guys have talent. They're going to be better in the future. But, you know, two of those guys and Reddish and Hunter were rookies. Herter was a very young sophomore last year. And those guys, you know, in the NBA in general, guys that young in the league, unless they're absolute stars, aren't going to be great that quickly. So, yeah, they, they kind of just weren't ready to go yet. And that's why they had they really weren't very good last year, despite Trey Young being so good. But at the same time, they also knew they had, they had all this money to spend and sort of the timeline to uh, go ahead and speed up a little bit. Yeah, in terms of uh, who the Hawks have acquired, they've obviously acquired Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Solomon Hill. They drafted Nyeka Kongwu. They've added Chris Dunn and Tony Snell. It seems like this whole roster has been overhauled in a way. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of returning guys like Herter, like Trey Young, like John Collins. But as a whole, the supporting cast is completely different this year. Yeah, it definitely will be much, much different. I mean, they had to, like I said, they had to add some depth regardless, but they spent a lot of money this offseason. They had a lot to spend, and you have to have it to spend in the NBA with the cap the way it is. But they brought in, you know, two guys definitively in Gallinari and Bogdanovich that are definite, you know, starting caliber high-end players making real money. And then they floated around those guys with Rondo, with Chris Dunn, uh, Akangwu in the, in the lottery. Those guys are now part of the team as well and part of the rotation you would expect from the op- from opening night. So factor that in with Capella. And yeah, this looks a lot different than it did before. The young guys are all back. That's definitely good in terms of keeping their identity. Trey Young as the centerpiece of it all. But they've really sort of overhauled more than half of the roster from last season. And that's not that, that's, I would say that's kind of typical for the NBA in a lot of ways. But with the Hawks, bringing in the way that they did like quality pieces and multiple quality pieces just changes this team a lot. In some ways they are still Trey Young's team. He's still, he's still the best player and they'll build around him, but on the margins and really even better than that, they've gotten guys who are ready to win now in a way that they just weren't before. So as for the pieces they've added in, obviously with Bogdan and Danilo Gallinari, these guys are getting paid a lot. Like you said, Gallo's deal is three years, 60 million. Bogdan's deal is four years, 72 million. So given that the Hawks spent that kind of money, I would imagine these guys are going to be in the starting lineup, right? Um, Bogdanovich, I'm expecting to start for sure. Um, That's that's just not an investment you make without starting, especially with the offer sheet that they did. And, you know, with respect to Kevin Herter and others, Bogdanovich is just better than those guys right now. I think long-term Herter can be a starter in the NBA for sure. But if it's one versus one, Bogdanovich is is just better. And Herter's sort of the incumbent starter at shooting guard right now. Gallinari is less clear. Um, On one hand, you're paying him starter money for sure. Guys making $20 million on new contracts are very, very likely to start in the abstract. At the same time, he's a power forward by nature at this point in his career at at the age of 31, 32. And the Hawks have John Collins as well. And Travis Schlenk um, talking to some season ticket holders on a video conference that was captured um, kind of indicated that they plan to bring Gallinari off the bench. Now it's early in this process. Um, You know, at at that point in time, camp hadn't even started yet. That was not Lloyd Pierce saying that that was the GM. So that's a little bit different as well with the head head coach and is that making that decision a lot of the time, but it won't surprise me if Gallinari doesn't start. 
at the same time, you know, starting is not everything in the NBA. He's got he's gonna play starting level minutes. He'll plug he'll probably play between 25 and 30 minutes a game. That's a lot of minutes, so I wouldn't panic too much. But yeah, I mean basically Bogdanovich, I everyone's assuming he's gonna start. Gallinari will play a lot, so they're gonna make a huge impact. Gotcha. So if you have a situation where Gal is coming off the bench, and like you said, he's gonna play plenty of minutes. It's not like he's gonna be <laughs> lacking playing time on this team. <laughs> yep. But do you see a lineup where it's like Trey Young, you have Bogdan at the two or the three, you have John Collins, Clint Capella at the five. Who do you think fills out the roster? Because that's four of the starting spots. Yeah, so they have they have some options. Of course, they still could start Gallinari at the three. I wouldn't love that because he is more of a four, and defensively he's just not capable right now at, at his age to chase around wings on the perimeter defensively. Um, but they could do that at least for a little bit, maybe start the, maybe start those guys together and then make a quick change to, to then stagger them from that point forward. If they don't do that, the natural options to play that other wing spot alongside Bogdanovich are Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Um, the two rookies from last year who will now be second-year forwards. Um, Reddish is a little bit more of a 2-3. Hunter's more of a 3-4, but both those guys can play the three. They both have played the three quite a bit already in their careers. I know Hawks fans um, probably have Reddish ahead of Hunter at this point. Reddish is the more just raw, talented guy. He's younger. I think he has higher upside. Um, at the same time, they really invested in, in Hunter quite a bit last year with a big trade to get him. They like him a lot as well. So I actually don't know what they're going to do at that spot if they, just, if they have one guy to, to start. I, uh, I'm higher on Reddish long-term. And I think defensively, he's a little bit better than Hunter right now, whereas offensively, Hunter was a little bit more easily um, sort of project projectable last year as a better shooter than Reddish was. I think I would go with Reddish if it was me, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if either one of those guys started along alongside by Dimes on the wing. In terms of uh, Cam Radish, I was spending some time on Hawks Twitter the other day just to prep for this interview to get kind of like what the feeling is on guys like Cam Radish. And people like him. I honest admittedly have not followed him as much as a guy like you probably has but his efficiency does not seem to be great it is just his rookie season so obviously he'll probably build upon that this season what do you see a guy like that in terms of getting better efficiency wise yeah he really really struggled early as as a rookie and honestly i, I kind of predicted that um this is a guy who really struggled efficiency wise in college um and also had an injury over the summer between college and the NBA. So he kind of missed summer league. He didn't really have a whole like training camp ramp up. And there was just no way to predict that he wasn't going to struggle. If you're struggling, if you struggle in college, have nothing to do in the summer other than just sort of rehab, you're not going to come into the NBA and be good right away. It's just, it was never going to happen. And even then it was almost worse than expected coming out of the gate. Um, and that really, really weighed down his numbers. If the season had started in January, his numbers would have looked fine. So it's what it's a very traditional case of like terrible start for a rookie um, notable improvement along the way. And you can't just bank on the improvement just being linear and continuing. At the same time, doing it in the second half is better than the first half. You have to at least hope that he's more settled in now. The talent's kind of always been there. I think the efficiency is a concern. I think his jump shot is okay. Um, it looks good, um, but some of the balance stuff was a little bit off last season at times. It definitely improved throughout the season, but it's far from a certainty that he's going to be a terribly efficient offensive player right now anyway. Um, I think his defense is much better than his offense at this point in time. Um, I know Hawks fans are like really, really in love with him, and I, and I totally get it because he's a really talented guy. But for me as a rookie, his defense was what impressed me the most. He was really good on, on defense as a rookie, which is not a small thing for a 19-year-old basically coming into the league on the wing to be a pretty darn good defender, and he was – I like that a lot. 
but long term, I think he does have some some upside as a creator. Not going to be a primary guy for me, um, but someone who can handle the ball a little bit, um, get his own shot, knock down an open three. So I think efficiency-wise, there's a little bit of concern, but if you look at it a little bit closer, it was much, much better from like January on. So I wouldn't, again, you can't throw out the early, the early stuff, but it's less of a concern now, I think. I like that description because that basically sums up like what every team in the NBA wants right now is like just an ideal guy they can have at the two or the three who can make passes a little bit and then shoot and play good defense. So I'm definitely not giving up on (laughs) Cam Radish. Oh no. Yeah. I keep my eye on him this season on league pass, but a guy who's in kind of a similar situation as Radish was with the injury rehabbing into this season is Onyeka Kongwu. Do you think the Hawks are going to be cautious with them? I read your article a little bit yesterday about uh, the injury report. What do you think his status is moving into this season? Do you think he's going to miss a few weeks or do you think the Hawks are just going to play him? How cautious are they going to be with this? You know, it's it's so early that we're all kind of guessing, but you, you, you just referenced it. They, the Hawks announced the injury report on Monday which kind of backed up what we already thought. It was reported ahead of the draft, and the Hawks knew about it, that he has um, a bit of a a left foot issue. They're not worried about it. They downplayed it in a big way, but he had an MRI. He's got some some inflammation there, so he's not necessarily a full go right now. Um, They're planning on reevaluating him in about 10 days. So given how close the season is, it will not surprise me if he's missing the early part of the season, at least the first week or two of the season. And that's okay. I mean, this is a guy where the Hawks are definitely drafting him to be a long-term piece. I think he can play now if he's healthy because he's a guy who plays defense, plays hard, finishes around the rim, does little things well. But Atlanta has Clint Capella, who they invested in in a big way. They have John Collins, who can play some five. They have Bruno Fernando, a a second-round pick from last year. They have some bodies in the front court. And because it's a long-term play, a Kongwu is not going to be an impact guy for them as a rookie regardless. So if you're if you have that this guy you drafted in the lottery, he's not going to start for you now anyway. You might as well take it slow. You, you, you want to be 100% sure that he's uh, healthy when he's playing. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think we're going to get some small ball Solomon Hill minutes early on if Anyeka misses some time? Maybe get Solomon Hill out there, shoot some threes, play undersized five? I think maybe at the five, but you could play him with with Collins maybe at the five, like have more of those lineups when you see Collins at the five and Hill at the four, something like that. I think Hill would be a natural guy to maybe spot some minutes if a Collins really can't play. You could use you could use Bruno Fernando as well, who's a guy they still kind of like as a backup center. He's more of a third center for me right now, but if a Collins was out, he's more he's more of a traditional option. They also have Tony Snell, who's definitely more of a wing, but who could play some minutes and, send, and sort of shift some guys down. You could play Hunter at the four, that kind of stuff. So they have some options. I think because Collins can play the five, that sort of unlocks a lot of different things for them. And again, like a Kongwu, even if healthy, I don't think he's going to play more than, I don't know, 12 minutes a game early on in the season because they have so many other options. So with guys like Tony Snell and Chris Dunn, Atlanta, I would say primarily brought those guys in for def- defensive purposes. Do you think that they're going to be in this rotation early on? Because I know both of them have injuries as well. Yeah, I think that especially Dunn is a defense-first addition. Everyone has said that. It's very easy to to acknowledge that. He's a really, really, really good defender. Um, Offensively, a little bit more challenged, but a guy who they know what what they're getting with Chris Dunn. The injury is a question. It's it's the same knee that he's been battling for a while now, which is a concern, but he's he's close, apparently, at least according to the injury report. He's been doing some individual workouts, so 
if he's if, he, if he's available, he's definitely a defense first sort of jack of all trades guy defensively. He can guard one through three. I know he's kind of a point guard size player, but the Bulls were playing him on the wing basically last year because he's so good defensively and so big and strong that he can do that a little bit. And he's not the greatest on ball guy on, on offense. Um, Snell. I actually don't know much about the injury other than what was announced. That was kind of a, one that came out of nowhere in a lot of ways. Um, I think the Hawks just kind of added him for depth. They traded him for Dwayne Dedman because um, Snell provides some shooting. He can play a little bit of defense on the wing. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the rotation from opening night if everybody's healthy, but he is a guy who is a rotation caliber player, a depth piece. He's not he's not exciting. He's overpaid and all that stuff, but overpaid does not mean bad. Um, he, can, he, can, he, can, he can play a little bit. He's just not going to necessarily live up to that contract that he has, but it's one year. And they're just, I think he's just a quality depth piece, really, especially the shooting. I think before, especially before they got Madonovich and Gallinari, they desperately needed shooting. And then Snell brings that and sort of that old school three and D kind of mold. You don't want him to do much with the ball in his hands other than shoot, but it's sort of that very small role, role player type that everybody needs. In regards to the addition of Rajon Rondo, obviously he gives a lot of playmaking off the bench. So when Trey Young is sitting, there'll be someone who can create a little bit. Do you think he'll slot into similar to the Jeff Teague role last year where he would play some point guard and maybe some two, or do you see him maybe expanding that role? What do you see Rondo's role as this year? It's interesting. I think they obviously invested in him with with a two-year deal. He is a very um, prominent name, of course. Lately in the regular season, he's not been great. Um, He was very good in the playoffs for the Lakers, but he has this playoff Rondo moniker that really sort of is true. He's not been great in the regular season recently. So the Hawks are hoping for sure that they're going to get playoff Rondo in the the regular season. Um, But they're bringing him in for a lot of reasons. I think part of it is like veteran leadership. The Hawks have talked about that sort of nonstop in the last week or two. The fact that he's this older established guy, he's so smart on the court. Young guys seem to love Rondo, um, and that's kind of at least part of the uh, the investment there. On the court, the Hawks just haven't had anything behind Trey Young for quite some time now. They have now they have a guy. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Teague was like better than what they had previously, but was not great when they when they brought him in last year either. And Rondo can come in and run a pick and roll and run an offense and pass the ball. He can't really score necessarily on the ball, or he's, he's not a great shooter, but he at least can go in and run the offense and allow other guys to function off the ball. I think he also could play with Trey Young a little bit and that Trey can play off the ball. He's such a good shooter that if you wanted to play those guys together, you probably could, at least in some small amount. My one concern would be that Rondo and Dunn can't really play together because of the offensive um, limitations there. Those guys can't really shoot either of them, and that's a problem. But, you know, all things considered, that's not a huge issue. I think Rondo could play with, with basically anybody else but that. If it's me, I wouldn't be playing Rondo a ton, but that, of course, doesn't touch on the, you know, you're, you're bringing a guy in with all this pedigree. He might want to play, and you can't just bury a guy like Ray John Rondo, I don't think, on your, on your rotation. So they're going to give him the minutes. Whatever Trey Young sits, I expect Rondo to play most, if not all, of those minutes, and then we'll see beyond that. So going back to just the outlook for the Hawks this season, I'd say it's pretty definitive that obviously teams like the Bucks, the Celtics, the Pacers, the Heat, the Sixers, and the Nets are probably going to perform better. Do you think seven to eight is sort of the expectation for this team? Or do you think there's different expectations? I, I think that, um, you know, national consensus wise, most people are going to pick the Hawks for the eight seed. 
in the East. If you look at it, like the way you just laid it out, I think there's kind of a consensus top six and maybe top seven. And usually it's Indiana. That's the team that goes between six and seven there. Um, that's the team that I think is probably in the closer to the Hawks than the other teams are. Um, you know, that, that top six of the Bucks, the Celtics, the Raptors, um, the Heat, the Nets, uh, the Sixers, all, all those teams. There's they're, they're six teams. They're sort of in, in that consensus top six. Then you have the Pacers, who are a little bit closer to Atlanta, and then you have Atlanta. And then there are some other contenders for that spot. I mean, people like Washington, people might like Orlando, I don't know, Chicago, whatever you want to say. I think the Hawks are more talented than teams like Orlando and Washington and Chicago. I honestly think that the Hawks might be better than Indiana as well, just talent-wise. Now, Indiana is more proven, to be sure, but they have a new coach. Um, They don't have this, like, overwhelming talent advantage on the Hawks. But regardless, I think expectations-wise – Outside the building, that's what you're expect. That's what you probably would expect. The Hawks are going to be favored to make the playoffs, not like overwhelmingly so. But as the projections roll in, they're usually about number eight in the East. Internally, even since like March, they've been talking about the playoffs even before they have all these guys. So that's that, that's definitely their public goal. I'd imagine that you know most teams believe that they're going to be better than people out in the outside believe that they're going to be. No one's going to come out and say, you know, home court advantage for the Hawks, even on the team. But, you know, guys are competitive and they want to be better than that. No one's going to say we want to be the eight seed in the East if you're on the Hawks team. So keep that in mind. But, you know, I think overall the projection is probably going to be somewhere in that seven, eight range. Maybe even you might see some team might, might see some experts picking them to finish ninth or whatever. But that's generally what I expect. And I would lean closer to seven than nine. Gotcha. I was also going to ask, I, I was reading Kevin Pelton's piece, just breaking down each of the teams, and he was suggesting the Hawks will probably finish around six in total offense. Defensive, the defensive end is obviously going to be the main issue for this team in terms of winning games. What do you, like, what do you expect them to finish at, and what tweaks do you think they can make to make their defensive end passable? Yeah, I saw that, you know, and Kevin's just running the numbers and it's, it's RPM. So I think people blame Kevin. It's not really, it's not necessarily him. He wrote it up so he gets attached to it. So, but I think offensively that number of number six overall in the league sounds reasonable to me. I think the Hawks are going to be a top 10 offense. You know, there's, there's a gap between like top three or four offense and top, you know, eight or 10 offense. And that's where we'll see how good the Hawks actually are, but they're going to be good on offense. I'm, I think everyone is pretty confident about that. As long as Trey Young is healthy and some of the other pieces are on the court together, they'll be good on offense. Um, defensively, I think it's kind of a stretch that, they, that they'll actually be the worst team in the league defensively. You know, last year they were third worst. They were bad on, de- on defense last year. No question about it, but They've added Clint Capella since then. Capella is a good defender at center, and center is probably the most important position position defensively. And almost more importantly, he's replacing a situation that was so ugly last year at center. They really had very, very little, especially defensively at center with Damian Jones and lots of other guys last year. Um, so that that's a huge upgrade. Also, I think they're just a, a young team that has some defensive talent with Reddish and Hunter even Collins, those guys should be another year better in their defensive cycle. I think even Troy Young should be a little bit better defensively. And then you add in a guy like Chris Dunn. I think that this team is should be projected to be below average defensively, for sure, um, just because of the weaknesses that they still have. You know, Trey's not a good defender. Gallinari's not a good defender, etc. But I think having them last is kind of silly. Um, and that's not, I'm not really a homer like that. I think that there are just teams that are worse than them on paper defensively, like Washington, maybe Cleveland. So if you want to tell me that Hawks are at bottom five defense, I won't argue too much with that, but I think they're going to be closer to like 20th than actually last if it's for me. So 
it's still a problem. It's still a concern. And offensively, they're a lot better than they are defensively. But I don't think they're going to be quite as bad as those numbers indicate. In regards to their offense, do you think that given the fact that you are adding these pieces like Bogdan, like Gallinari, do you think it's going to take some time for this to adjust and for Trey Young to gel with these guys? Or do you think they'll hit the ground running game one? I think the adjustment period is almost more about rotations and who plays together than it is about like individual players clicking when they're on the court. I think Trey is very easy to play with in a lot of ways because he's going to do a lot of things well. As long as you're ready to catch the ball and shoot, you'll be in good shape. And Gallinari is a really smart player, as is Bogdanovich. The guys that were already there, Collins, um, Reddish, all those guys. I think Capella will be interesting to integrate because he's more of a rim runner. And so is Collins. That, that's a question as well. But they have, they have a lot of talent, quite frankly, and I don't worry too much about it. But there, there might be a little bit of a growing period because there's not really – that lead time, you know, training camp is abbreviated. The preseason is abbreviated. And for a team like the Hawks, that's making all kinds of additions to their rotation. They could be affected a little bit more than other teams are. They're just kind of running it back. So it, it might be a slow start in some ways. I think though, it, that's just more about who, who needs to be on the court together. And they have some rotational questions that are pressing, I will say, and they probably know that as well. They have, you know, they probably have 11 or 12 guys who need to play. And that's really hard to do that in the NBA. So We'll see what they do there, but once that all settles in, they figure out what, and they figure out the rotations. The talent sort of lets go, and you go from there. Yeah, I was going to just ask about that because with guys like obviously Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, who you mentioned, the front office have spent a lot of capital on and really believe in these guys, and then you also have the veterans you're adding like Gallinari and like Bogdanovich, who have been proven starters in the league before. How do you like, do you think that's going to be a situation where Lloyd Pierce is trying to figure out who plays what minutes together and just what lineups work? Or is that just going to be a tough situation for Lloyd Pierce to figure out early on in the season? Yeah, it'll, it'll be a challenge, I would imagine. You know, they'll probably have some sort of plan on paper, and then you figure out what works in practice, and they really don't have a lot of time in the lead up to tinker with it. The one thing I want to point out is that the Hawks have a couple of guys who might need to be like load managed. You know, Gallinari especially is a guy who I can't imagine is going to be playing back-to-backs a ton this year. He's getting into his 30s, and they have an investment in him. So there'll be nights where he might load manage. There'll be nights when Capella might not play back-to-backs. Like, they have some guys who may not play every single night of the season, which that allows you a little bit of flexibility because that those nights will be when you can sort of showcase your young guys, get them minutes, et cetera. But even when, you know, when it, I'll, I'll just say opening night, when they, if everybody's healthy on opening night, they have to figure out what their plan is going to be because most teams don't run 11-man rotations or 12-man rotations, and the Hawks have that many players. And some of them are natural fits together. Some of them are not. You know, Gallinari and Collins is one where everyone's focused on that. Those guys are not great fitting together on defense, especially. If they're playing the four and the five on offense, it'd be incredible. And we'll probably see that at some point. But then defensively, that's not probably tenable on a grand scale. So stuff like that. I think, you know, who plays with Chris Dunn? Who, uh, who, who runs the second unit? Obviously, Ronald will be on the court, but do they let Bogdanovich kind of create more when Trae Young's off the court? They have questions like that, and they're going to have to figure it out quickly because they, uh, for the first time in, you know, four seasons, they have to actually, you know, kind of care about wins and losses on a grand scale and kind of just you know, have some pressure to actually win. So, yes, it'll be tough for the coaching staff, but that's kind of, what, it's kind of, kind of their job at this point in time. So uh, there's definitely some pressure on them, but we'll see what they do. Also, just given the nature of this season being different than others, obviously the schedule hasn't dropped yet, but we're going to see sort of like baseball type things where teams will play series against each other. 
and maybe a lot of like going from city to city just because of COVID-19 and everything with that. But do you think that will help or hurt the, the Hawks? Um, I don't know. It's on one hand, I think the, the craziness of the season is just so unpredictable that it's kind of tough to like figure out what's like, who's going to be impacted on the other. I think if anything, you would probably say the Hawks have a slight advantage because they have so much depth. Like they probably have too much depth in a lot of ways, but in a season where the schedule is so abbreviated, the schedule is accelerated. You're playing all these games in a short period of time, having extra guys, having real depth is probably an edge the Hawks do have over some of their teams because there'll be nights when, you know, not even if it's, even if it's not COVID protocol, you're playing your fourth night, your fourth game in five nights, something like that. And that becomes really taxing on a lot of NBA teams and you have schedule losses in the NBA, but for the Hawks, they have a team, they have a team where they can go 12 or 13 deep and that allows you some flexibility. So, you know, again, it's tough to project, but I think if all things are equal, the teams that have depth, probably have a probably have a slight advantage and the Hawks do have depth. The last question I wanted to ask you was obviously the Atlanta Hawks haven't made the playoffs for the past three years. They're they've been towards the bottom of the NBA getting high draft picks. Is this what kind of team you had in mind when they started rebuilding? Like are you excited about this team moving forward with the moves they've made? Yeah, I, th- I think the future is bright. I mean I think that they, you could certainly argue that they're speeding up a little bit too fast. I know Hawks fans don't love that for this, this summer, but at the same time, even when I say that it's justifiable because they had all this, they held all this cap space. They have these young players under contract. They've already added another, another lottery pick to the team. And if they didn't feel like that free agency splash next summer was going to happen, kind of pressing in now is not the worst thing in the world. I think that all of their deals this, this summer slash fall are warranted. Um, they're all defensible. They're all for good players. The one that I don't like love is, is Rondo probably, but even then that's not, a, that's not a huge investment. So I think the future is still very bright because they have, you know, the biggest thing in the NBA is to find your star, to find the guy you're building around. The Hawks had that guy in Trey Young. I mean, I'm sure people are split on him still, but undeniably he's one of the best offensive players in the league. He's super young still. And um, as a guy who's already a star, you can build around that. that. That's the first domino you have to have. And then from there, they have the supporting cast of quality veterans. They have quality young players. They have upside. I don't know. I think it's uh, still a very, very bright future for the Hawks. There is some concern that if they don't find a way to like swing a trade for a second star, that they may not have that guy. But, you know, I think all things considered, two years ago, three years ago, if the Hawks were, if you told me that the, the Hawks were going to have this crew with Troy Young, the way he's playing now and all of these good players, for me, they have five top 100 players in the league on this roster. Like you can't really complain about that. So I think the Hawks are in a good spot. We'll see how they are this year. And, but I think long-term the future's still bright. Yeah. Brad Rowland, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to plug about your podcast or anything like that? Oh, uh, no, just uh, subscribe to the Lockdown Hawks podcast. That's the, that's the one that I show. And as you mentioned before, I host a Braves podcast as well at Talking Chop. So uh, I'm around. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. It's been fun talking about the Hawks. We'll see how they do. <laughs> Absolutely.